This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to This Day in History, a podcast dedicated to examining history from a standpoint of determining which event on any given day had the greatest impact on our lives. Now your host, Tony Hubert and Armand Kachigian. Hello again, history lovers. Tony Hubert here with you, my partner Armand Kachigian. It is this day in history on lineupmedia.fm. Today, I'm going to try something a little different. I object. No, you don't. You love this. Normally, what we do is we run down all the events on a day. On a given day in history. You know that. And we'll continue to do so. Because that gives Armand and I a lot of things to uh, argue and banter about. Which we enjoy and we hope you do as well. But we thought we'd try something different. Just to see what you, the audience, thought. And that is to really break down one subject that would get Armand's sort of gander up. Now, the other day, what I did, folks, is I, I emailed... Uh, the fine Mr. Kachigian, and I said... Uh, I didn't read it. Yeah, and he, and of course he didn't respond. And then I said, did you get my email? And he said, what email? And I said, you're a buffoon. And he said something not flattering, and I said, go read your email if you know how to open it, old man. But I had sent him an email saying, hey, uh, let's try to do a show where we really dissect one topic. I gave him a list. The list I gave him included uh, the fundamental orders, for writing the first constitution that created a government in uh, the Americas. It was adopted in Connecticut. He didn't like that. No. That's okay. I'm anti-constitution. The, uh, uh, the, the uh, Treaty of Paris. I think he might have liked that somewhat. Uh, General, Which one? There were uh, several. You know, the 1784 version ending the oh. Revolutionary oh. War. Insignificant. The uh, General Sherman March to the Sea. That happened in 1864. That began on the 14th of January. One I thought he might choose, I thought it might be second, was the debut of the Today Show in 1952. Now, I know he doesn't watch it today because he thinks that is a communist pinko plot to overthrow America. That's being kind. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, So I thought... I'm on to them. He thought he might... I thought he might go for a real communist, and that being... uh, FDR. uh, Josip Broz... Tito, who no. was inaugurated as the president of Yugoslavia. And then I thought, well, you know what? He'll probably like this one because Armand is not sensitive. He'll like to talk about George Wallace being sworn in as the governor of Alabama. Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That's Armand's credo. Is there anything wrong with that? No, that's Armand's credo. I'd love to be segregated from you forever. But no, he. I, I had a clubhouse leader, and what he chose was the Casablanca Conference of 1943, where FDR and Churchill get together in Morocco. Now, we've always said on this day in history, what are the events that shape the world we live in the most? I've got to hand it to Armand out of those choices. I think what shaped the world we live in today the most is indeed... His choice, the Casablanca Conference. Let me give you... Well, it was a dead heat with the Today Show, of course. Oh. But after long reflection, I kind of thought, well... It just edged out. What's his name? Dave Galloway? No, the whore, uh, the chimp. Oh, <laughs> chimp on the Today Show. Yes. Yeah. I what was his name? Mr. Biggs or something? Damn, well, you got to have that. a chimp correspondent, yeah, right. don't you? He was more yeah. interesting than Dave. So right. on this date, January the 14th, 1943. Mr. Muggles? I, you he, got me. I don't, I don't know. I should know that. Chimp on the right, Today go ahead. Show. Yeah. On this date, 1943, January the 14th. Well, the conference in Casablanca starts. It's held at J. A, Fred Muggs. That's close. You're close. Yeah, That's a J. good name. J. Fred Muggs. That's a good name for Damn. a chip. Mr. Muggles, I said. Was right. his full name Jeffrey Frederick? I don't Muggs know what the or? J. Yeah, that's another one. What does the J stand for? I don't know. I don't know. Well, the date of this conference, of course, starts today. It it goes on for eleven days. That's a bit of a long conference. Well, January fourteenth to first the of all, 24th. Roosevelt just wanted to take a trip. For, okay. for, you know, let's oh, get during the middle straight. of the war, yeah, he yeah, wanted he to just get out Absolutely. and take a trip. He could have gone son... to he could have gone to Warm Springs, Georgia. No, that's too close to Eleanor. He couldn't cheat. Oh, how so, did that work? By the way, that's a whole nother show. Yeah, uh, where was this held? Well, it was held at the Anfa Hotel. 
which I tried to find online. And in Casablanca, I find a whole bunch of hotels called the Anfa Hotel. Now, who attended, Armand? This was news to me. Well, of course, we know FDR and Winston Churchill right. were there. The two French representatives who... Yeah, who despised each who other. Who apparently despised each other, Charles de Gaulle, de Gaulle and Henri Giroud. Henri Giroud. Henri Giroud are in attendance. Who's not in attendance? Everybody uh, that would, else. That would be one, Yosef. Yeah, well, here again, he's just Stalin. making excuses. I mean, he got everything oh, an, he wanted. And, an excuse. Well, yeah. He had what, a little thing called Stalingrad what's going he got on. to do with Stalingrad? His namesake city. It's about to fall to the Nazis. Well, they they were doing great. They were doing fine. By this time, they were encircled. He, it was just an excuse. First of all, they and they also said we'll we'll come even farther. We'll go to Somalia or something. They meet him there. He didn't want to go there. He just didn't want to leave the country. What and he country? Knew he was getting Morocco, Russia. Oh, oh. And, and okay. he knew he was getting everything anyway because Roosevelt told him. No. Anyway, we'll. So here's right, the we'll ag- talk about that. Here's the agenda for this for this conference. That is that is going to. Elliot Roosevelt was there too. Yeah, he was. Son, yeah. Uh, Who's a crook, by the way. Gonna, they're going to discuss tactics, resource allocation, diplomatic policy. Chicks and, and broads. Well, I'm sure there was some yeah, booze. Well, I'm sure there were cigars. some booze. Cigars and booze. But if you've ever heard the term, and that we think you have, unconditional surrender, <laughs> this is a term that Roosevelt dust off to use, and it's a policy that they adopt uh, and the Axis powers agree to. When, when I say Axis powers agree to, what we really mean is uh, Churchill agreed to. No, you mean the not the Axis I'm power, sorry, the allies. Uh, the allies agreed to yeah. concerning the Axis power. We're going to have unconditional surrender. Right. Oh, for well, all Axis. Well, believe me, Goebbels loved it. Did he, Yeah, it was great propaganda for him. What 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 do you what do you think a, a proclamation like that would do to a people? So they want to wipe us out. It's only it was only been used twice before, except for Grant, because well, you know. Begin, yeah. But can you know? Can you name the other two? The Boer War was one. Oh, okay. The Bo- well, the Boers basically said we're going to fight till the end anyway, yeah. so it wasn't oh. a big deal then. But it was also the Third Punic War, and that's what the Romans did. They wiped out Carthage. Yep. Carthago delita est. Mm-hmm. Gone, wiped clean Carthage from the map. Must be destroyed. That was ooh, third. It wasn't Cicero. Uh, maybe it was Cicero. Are we AD or? Oh or, yeah, or, no, no, B, no, BCE. We're BCE. Third Punic here. War. Third Punic War. Okay. Carthago delita est. So the term though, unconditional surrender, which of course is the policy that's going to be adopted here. FDR gets this from Ulysses Grant. Yeah, yeah. General Grant used this in the Civil War when communicating uh, his demands to the Confederates at at uh, Fort Henry and, and Fort Donelson. So, am I to believe this policy really has its roots in the Civil War or he just said FDR thought, you know, Grant came up with a really catchy phrase. I think I like it. It suits our purposes. Cato the Elder. Jesus, of course it couldn't be Cicero. It was before Cicero. Cato said that. Mm-hmm. Carthago de Lindemest. Okay. okay. Now what are we talking about? Now you didn't hear a single word I just well, said. I heard you less Grant, and yeah, that, that was inspired at Fort Donaldson. And, and the Fort Civil Henry. War. Yeah, yeah right. so is this policy, does this really have roots from the Civil War, or is this just a term that FDR fancied and suited his purpose for the moment? Here again, we discussed this yesterday. I, you, you attribute such strategic foresight to this man and he well, had none we'll, I mean, we'll see well, come on that's what we're here to debate armand all right well see armand doesn't like case. to debate folks he just likes to make proclamations and then when you counter he'll just tell you you're wrong well, we'll counter no we'll we'll get to it don't worry now on the on a radio address oh boy by the way this was actually a white house correspondence dinner that was on the radio uh, February 12th. What was the main course? I don't know. Probably chicken. J. Fred Muggs. Uh, oh, please don't no, serve him. And if February 12th, uh, 1943, FDR explains unconditional surrender. And uh, <laughs> like unconditional yeah, I surrender guess we're really. Too stupid to understand right. it, I guess. Does this really need explaining? It's like free trade. Yeah. It needs but, uh, 1,100 pages you yeah. know, to explain what it is. There's that good old time radio static. Let's, let's hear how FDR yeah, sounds. Sounds authentic sounded on that date. We know, and our, the, the plain people of our enemies will eventually know, that we mean no harm to the common oh. people of the Axis nation. 
that's but a good one. But we do mean to impose punishment and retribution in full upon their guilty barbaric leader. All right, so get rid of the leader. That's a big deal. And therein lies my question, Armand. My question is simply this. Now, this does, this isn't just aimed at FDR. This is aimed at anybody who goes this route. Uh, how can you punish a nation's leaders without punishing the people? Tried this in Iraq. Didn't work. We've tried it all over the globe. Not just we. Other nations have tried this, too. The people always pay. Well, listen, If had he come out and said if he called for, you know, in his usual, you know, yesterday, December 7th, that kind of bullshit, assassinate Hitler and all will be forgiven. Right? You think Hitler would have survived? That's all he had to say. We'll call off the war right now. Overthrow your regime, this this evil Nazi regime, and the Allies will make overtures immediately. There will be peace talks. So while of he's course, not going to do that, while he well, that's of course that's what Stalin was worried about. Uh, well, because that's what he didn't want to get Stalin all miffed. That's the whole point, right? So that's tr- what Stalin's main worry was that we would make peace, a separate peace, and that would have been the end of it. So, you know who's not completely on board with this? <laughs> Everybody. Well, Churchill, he, George may, Marshall, he Churchill, may not have been Eisenhower. subscribing to this doctrine uh, uh, at mm-hmm. all. A, a, a New York Times correspondent. Now, was that a, a pink Okami rag in 1943? Uh, uh, no, it was just uh, it was a pink Okami reasonably good newspaper. Oh, okay. Uh, but now it's a rag. A correspondent by the name of Drew Middleton, who wrote a book, Retreat from Victory, uh, revealed that Churchill was... Yeah. Completely startled by the public announcement, read, of, but I've read of unconditional surrender. I'm not sure about that, though. I've and, read a okay, but let me that, read the quote that this right. correspondent, who's on the scene, attributes to Churchill. "Quote: I tried to hide my surprise, but I was Roosevelt's ardent lieutenant." Yeah, but I don't think he was all that surprised because apparently they've, they've been discussing this beforehand. It wasn't totally out of the out of thin air, although he was opposed to it then too. Anyway, but even Elliot, I don't know. Elliot says he was really surprised too, but Elliot Roosevelt. Elliot Roosevelt does, yeah. yes. And it would not be unlike an American president just to go to a podium and make oh, announcements. This American president that catches everyone off guard. I'll, I'll cite JFK's announcement of uh, of uh, Robert uh, McNamara as Secretary of Defense. Oh, I thought it. I thought his. I was surprised. McNamara. By, didn't really even know he was taking the job until he walked out right. into a but press conference. But the greatest surprise of all Kennedy gave us was informing us that nobody knew that he was a jelly donut. <laughs> it could be nine Berliner. Yeah, he came out of the closet with that one. Thank you. <laughs> that was a big surprise. Now, also in this in this vein, and Armand just touched on this, mm-hmm. uh, the U.S. ambassador to Moscow, a guy by the name of Charles Bolin. No, Chip. Call, his friends call him Chip. His friends called him Chip. He's, he's a well-to-do East Coast elite. Um, his quote is, Responsibility for this policy, unconditional surrender doctrine, rests almost exclusively with President Roosevelt. Right. I mean, he didn't consult with anybody, his generals, Congress, anybody. What, yeah. You talk about coming up with a policy ad hoc. Here it is. Yeah. No, I'm on on the is, plane, apparently. This is, on the plane over this there. This is one time I'm so far, I'm in agreement with you. So I ask, uh, if true, why did FDR do this? Is this to I keep, just told you. I, I know, but is this is to keep Stalin engaged Absolutely. with Germany? To keep the Soviets from negotiating their own peace treaty? Right, which they were doing. They were doing that too. So were the British, you know, with Canar- uh, Canaris. So how allied are these allies? Well, apparently they, they were allies. As long as Stalin was getting what he wanted. Then they he, were all good. Right, sure. Now, Alan Dulles enters the conversation yeah, at this point. Another crime family. Talk about crime families. At Dulles this point, family. Yeah. you know him better as the later CIA chief and, of course, yeah. Dulles International. And his brother. His brother, was, John? Uh, yeah, John J., John Foster Dulles. John Foster Dulles. I think Dulles? that's what yeah. Dulles Airport is named after him. Not that's Alan. not Alan. That's John. John Foster. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was Secretary of State for um, Eisenhower. Right. So at this point. He's the chief of the OSS, Office of of Strategic Services, Services, I believe. The precursor. Wild Bill Donovan. To the CIA, yes. And he's working with the likes of Wild Bill Donovan. Yeah, it's played by um, 
George Brent. Oh, in uh, the Fighting 69th. The Fighting 69th. When he fought I have in not World War One. Seen that? We for have it ages. on our site. Okay. Yes. Uh, but anyway, he is stationed in Bern, Switzerland, because of course Switzerland's neutral. Neutral right. in terms of they're just taking all the Nazi gold and banking it and saying we'll we'll keep this safe for you. They're safe. The ne- Swiss are brilliant. Neutral, my ass. But yes, great. Brilliantly uh, deceptive. Now, uh, Dulles maintains that this declaration they come up with in Casablanca, his quote is is really telling. Hey, it's merely a piece of paper to be scrapped without further ado if Germany would sue for peace. Hitler had to go. That's quoting Dulles. So I ask you this. If there's a deal to be struck with Germany minus Hitler and the Nazi uh, leadership, uh, why isn't this why isn't this being done? Well, because because it, we don't want to offend Stalin. That's why. That, that, that's the only reason but I can think of with minus, Roosevelt. Okay, but I, here's where I counter to you. If it's minus Hitler and the Nazi leadership, why would Germany keep fighting Russia? Well, I, I, I think they well, I think the, the German people would have been for that because I think they bought they, might have been they bought the line it. that communism was, you know, the, the, that was their mortal enemy. I, I think they would have continued that fight. They might have been for But they it. never did want Hitler didn't even want to fight the British. Keep that in mind. That was all Churchill. You know, because and that's we were talking, we discussed on one of our episodes why I always wondered why her, uh, Hitler didn't try to get Franco to join. Yeah, to get the, the Spanish in the yeah, into the get, well, apparently it's because of uh, Canaris, the guy, the leader of Ab- Abwehr, well, who is g- basically, we're going to talk about. You, he's going to enter. He convinced Franco not to. So so he was. If there was a deal to be struck with a Germany minus Hitler to keep the Soviets out of Eastern Europe, someone swung and missed. Yeah. Well, someone swung. And, and Armand, this is me talking. So maintain yourself. Well, when we, Someone swung and missed at one of history's biggest opportunities here. And we fought a war for two more years. Well, here's another thing. Churchill wanted to invade. He didn't want to invade France anyway, or even Italy. Well, he wanted gonna, to invade gonna, through the Balkans. We're going to get to that. Well, that's why we That's why we don't have Eastern Europe. And that really would have pissed off Stalin. Now, the name Armand just mentioned, folks, Admiral, Admiral Wilhelm Canaris. Evidence suggests that the German resistance fighters and highly placed people in the anti-Nazi uh yeah. Well, they they were anti-Nazi government officials. They are German government officials, to be sure. Yeah, but they're anti-Hitler. They're, anti-Hitler. Anti- they're yeah. anti-Nazi. They're right. anti-Hitler. They have that streak. Just like in. a lot of generals were, too. Right. Von Kluge. Uh, Von Ribbentrop. Uh, Manstein. Who were the guys who tried to blow him up? Oh, no, uh, almost did. Stauffenberg. Stauffenberg. Klaus Stauffenberg. Yeah, Klaus yeah. Stauffenberg. So they, they, these anti-government, you know, uh, anti-Nazi government German officials are apparently working with MI6. That's Britain's MI6. Yeah, Stuart Menzies. Right. The head of MI6. They're coming up with a plan, eliminate Hitler, negotiate the peace. Now, the head of the German intelligence, the... Abwehr. 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 Yeah. Abwehr. That yeah. is, that is uh, again, Admiral Wilhelm Canaris. Uh, he apparently, reportedly, sends persistent overtures for support Sure. To the U.S. And the U.S. repeatedly, Armand, ignores this. Right. Specifically, Roosevelt is reportedly, repeatedly ignoring this. Why not take this route if this route was available? Because I really don't think – how many times have I told you Roosevelt wanted to go to war? Yes, you've okay. told me that With a the lot Japanese of times. And the, well, but the Japanese and the back did. door to the Germans. He did. He went to war. He wanted to go to war. They, they, they didn't they, want to end the war. They've already established that they're they're going to win this war because they're already at a conference. Yeah. Basically, pretty saying obvious how, things how, how, going how are we going to well. wrap this thing up? Well, the ultimate, but we've talked about this too, the ultimate hypocrisy is, and this is what the Japanese were fighting for ostensibly toward the end, we have to keep the emperor. Well, no, it's unconditional surrender. And then they surrender, and they keep the emperor. And they keep the emperor. So, so it really was right. semi-unconditional. Like leaving Hitler in power after, you know, the, this is all over with. So, so what, we don't have any. That just goes to show you. We don't have anything that's unconditional. Armand, what would have been lost? Nothing. If, if you would have settled. Two million lives would have been saved, If you probably. would have settled with a non-Nazi German government, a post-Hitler, and his cronies. Well, I but, don't know but, what would have happened, but like but I said, been lost. if you made the statement, I said, look, you guys overthrow Hitler, 
Immediately will begin peace talks. Yes, the bombing will stop. Yes, this will whatever. Hamburg, Dresden, whatever. These yeah. places, we'll these cities will all remain intact. How long do you think Hitler would have survived? I don't know. A week? Not even? Twenty-four hours? If you, if you flew leaf, you know, just dropped leaflets and made this on a radio, you know, a radio announcement. I think if you incentivize the, I, I'm thinking if you incentivize the right people in the anti-Hitler camp. The problem is one of literal logistics for those anti-Nazi German officials on the ground because the, the, the machinery of that Nazi party, the Gestapo. You know, yeah, but I think the, the army would have turned against him. Maybe, but you're, you're having to put some cards on the table like, like the, you well, know, they von Stauffenberg. Anyway. How, you know, right. how many times they tried? They tried know? this. And if one or two people don't play ball and turn their back on you, you're screwed. And that's asking a lot, man. So, I I don't know. I, I don't think he would have lasted very long. It's easy to say that, but the generals all knew put, by this time because the generals I, I all knew it was, it was hopeless. Knows. Rommel knows. knows it's hopeless, and he's still fighting like a devil. And but well, right, well, I yeah, well, forty three maybe Rommel was you know he. I don't think he had inspected the Atlantic Wall yet and seen just what a tatters the, yeah, know, the that it really France was, was not going to stop right. anything. The people that in the know, like von Rundstedt and those guys, I think probably knew. And the guys on the Eastern Front definitely knew things weren't going real well. But put yourself in a German. Well, it's a hell of a risk, of course. But, but they were doing I mean, it anyway. It, it, it's. But at least you have, I mean, like I said, this was the greatest gift Goebbels could have gotten because this is a propaganda he used for the next two years almost, to, you know. Because he says, why, why would well, you? First of all, they're going to kill us all anyway. Sure. Fight to the last man. Exactly. I get that. That's what unconditional surrender But a guy of, implicates. A guy of Goebbels, and I hate to use this word, but of his intellect, because as in terms of propaganda, I'm he's the master, right? Yeah, but it didn't take a lot of mastercraft. But, but he can spin. It's my a little different is, if, if Roosevelt, I don't know. My it, point is, Armand, he can spin anything. I don't know. To if you his, get on a radio and, and say this, now now they, they could have blocked it out. But right. like I said, you drop leaflets. You have, you know, you, you they had all, an underground. The Abwehr was a pretty I get it. But you, dro- catacomb you drop with traitors. leaflets and the Gestapo comes around and if you're holding a leaflet, they shoot you. I, I, I'm not saying it would have been simple, but I think the army no, would have. But it, you, at the front, if you drop it, if you get the army against him. Well, that's a big, yes, that's a. Yeah, because the army is going to run over the Gestapo. Yeah, the Gestapo was like three thousand secret police. That's right. it. They were nothing yeah, versus you know, that was hundreds. Of that thousands was the civilian of... police. I get know? it. So now you also mentioned this, uh, the tactic of of what to do. You know, uh, Churchill wants to. Well, you go mean after the... Africa? Yeah. Is, goes, okay, it's right. obvious Africa is going to go. Right. They've got All right. you know El Alamein. Yeah. Where do we and, go and next? This happened. Yeah. Now FDR starts lobbying. Churchill for the cross-channel invasion. Right, because that's what and, Stalin wanted. Right, and George, yeah, of course he does, because that ties up resources and lets him off the hook a And bit. it's as far as from Berlin and the eastern as you can get. Poland and what, you know, Stalin's got his eyes exactly. on. As you, right, he doesn't exactly. want us invading you opens know, the, Estonia. Opens the door to the east for him. Right. George C. Marshall, yeah, of Marshall. Caitlet Marshall. Yeah, of of Marshall Plan uh, fame, actually supports this as well. Uh, the Channel, I think. The Channel. Yeah, yeah. He's doing well, an he's, invasion in 1943. Not a not. Yeah. Okay. Churchill and the British obviously don't prefer this. They prefer beginning down in, you say the Balkans. Balkans. Churchill like Sicily, Greece, Greece right? Yeah. Uh, and is thinking they're the British well, military Patton thinking was, the, the movie Patton was pretty. Uh, they, somebody they decide on Italy, and yeah. Patton said, "You know, the key to Italy is Sicily." Right. And that was yeah. Get the right. You get Alcibiades. And the thought is, we're just going to pull the German troops down the peninsula. And that's another and, question, and, though. What about uh, Italy? Now, this unconditional surrender. Apparently, Italy's still fighting the war at that time. Yeah. They gave up. Was, okay, great. You're on our side now. Right. And that they, was an unconditional surrender. They strung, yeah, but they strung up Mussolini by his feet. So that was two years later. I know. Forty five. Right, there was that. But that's the thing. That's the point. As soon as they did that, Mussolini was gone. Yeah. So the 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 thought is is a good one. Yeah, pulled the German troops down the peninsula. Everything. Now this turned into a slog as well. Oh, you mean the Italian campaign? Yes. Oh God, what a waste! Horrific, right? Yeah, it was terrible. Is it, the, that country's made for defenders? Yes, it is. Yeah, Monte Cassino, Long, narrow, and hilly, mountainous. Yeah, yes. muddy. You can't go far to the left. 
You can't anywhere. go far to the you right. You can't flank anybody. Yeah, if you flank anyone, you're going to be swimming. Right. Yep. And they almost, Salerno almost was a total disaster if it wasn't for the German ineptitude. So I pose this question. What if FDR got his way and they had a cross-channel invasion of France in 43 and did eh. not allow for that year of buildup? I'm not sure it would have been that disastrous. I think you think it is, but I, I don't, there was well, no I don't Atlantic think it Wall. Been, first of all, I don't think it would have necessarily been disastrous. No. I just think it would have been remarkably different. Even the location of where right, they yeah, invade might not France have may have been different. Right. right. But, I mean, like I said, after Rommel inspected the Atl- you know, the this Fortress Europa, I yeah, think is what uh, right. Hitler called it, and realized it so, was essentially man, yeah, a little bit of a barb- shell, right? Yeah, so he knew this. We got to shore things up. Now I know the soldiers hitting the beach at at uh, Omaha yeah. didn't think those oh, pillboxes. Yeah. Utah, they didn't. They were, were having, they were having lunch, but yeah, that's you know, the, that's so the thing. I mean, they're having a good time, and so I don't mean it depends to, on what beach you're on. I, I exactly, and that's the truth of it. I'm sorry yeah. to say that, that, but that's the truth sure. of it. The soldiers at Omaha, because the Atlantic Wall was not a complete thing, was very spotty. The soldiers at that beach paid for it with their lives well, and blood. And let's and, be and, honest. And, and no exaggeration, like you said, at some of the other beaches, whether it's, uh, I think, Utah. Utah was a, I don't, yeah, it was a I cakewalk. Don't, I don't know what exactly happened at Juno or Sword. Sword, the fifth one. Omaha Beach was the bad one. But they literally were just backing up the trucks onto some yeah. of these other beaches and walking up walking up the, uh, the cliff to the high ground. Yeah, but here again, it was Hitler's stupidity, and I think a lot of the other guys, well, nobody wanted to disagree with him, but had they called in the panzers as Rommel wanted, right. said, this is not a feint, this is the real thing. Right. Instead of three weeks later deciding, you know, oh, well, is... maybe they're not coming to Pas de Calais. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was, they got that... had they done what Rommel said, it would have been touch and go. You got to give it to the, whoever the military minds that got them to the hold and defend a spot that they were never going to touch. Well, yeah, it didn't make sense to Hitler, and I guess you know you want to go the shortest distance, etc. Et you know, right. so but they, they had, yeah, it was because the channel, masterful. you know, again, the channel crossing eventually chosen in 1944 is not a 22 mile gap between Dover and Calais. No, that's the shortest. It, this that, is a 90 yeah. to 100 mile gap yeah. between the you know the and you're obviously farther from Paris and yeah, you know, what what most people would say would be the and the the Channel ports and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah and, it makes and sense. And furthermore, you're invading a peninsula. Yeah, you're, you're invading a mini version of Italy. Yeah, you're in, kind in a, of in crowded a, into hedgerow country. And if all you've that. ever yeah. seen a, a map of Normandy, it's you well, know, a lot of people objected to that. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I'd like to read a book. On the debate about that. Well, I tell you what, uh, the Citizen Soldiers book and the D-Day book by uh, Ambrose, those are more narratives. Yeah. Uh, But Anthony Beaver, who's a British historian who might be a better, more objective author on D-Day, has a a more recent book on D-Day out, maybe a year to two years old, maybe a little older. Simply entitled D Day. Anthony Beaver. Yeah, well, the planning stage is what I would like yeah. to read up on. And I, know, I, we all know what, you know. Hopefully that's covered. Yeah. Go see The Longest Day and you get a pretty good idea of oh my God. saving now, here, private Here's Ryan something else something. I didn't know about. Yeah. The politics that are going on between the allies. Oh, oh my God. God. They were all at cross purposes, you know. How, how can you even call the them? The French were still pissed off at the at the uh, British for yes. uh, where is that? Mer de Camier, where they where said they sank the damn killed like two thousand French sailors, sank the navy. Mars Mer al Kabir. Right, that was on the coast of yeah. Algiers that yeah. they came in and bombed the in French f- navy. Nineteen forty, right? I believe. Yeah, they, because did it the French actually, or was it the Americans who sent the Richelieu, the big battleship, to New York for repairs? Because they're like, you know what, this is going to get killed if it stays over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they got it out of the way. They, but I mean, this was an Iowa class type battleship. Yeah. This was a big boat. Yeah, tip, well, technically, like the, the French Bismarck. were their enemies, you right. know, and they were afraid, deathly afraid, that the Germans would get that French fleet. And then the Mediterranean would be German, and it would be then German. You had real problems. So here's just a taste of the politics here. <laughs> de Gaulle, yeah, well, has to be forced to attend this conference. I don't think well. Well, let's see now. Somebody was it Churchill didn't want him because no, I think Roosevelt didn't want him because he thought he, he was thinks, Churchill's right, butt boy. Right, exactly. Yeah. So and I don't think now apparently De Gaulle him. shows up. He doesn't want to be there anyway. Yeah. He's forced to attend, and he gets a cold shoulder, not just from FDR but from Churchill as well. Yeah. And plus, sh- <laughs> plus Armand, they don't allow any Frenchman to be in on any military planning. Well, they sessions. have an army. 
you know, I, I don't blame him for that. Then you find out. You lost. Yeah. You, you, don't, well, get to, you don't get to sit at the table. They have a resistance, but yeah, they, but, they do not. Yeah, they help, but, you know. De Gaulle and Giroud. Oh, they hate the each two other. Fr- yes. They're not exactly friends. Giroud. Now, well, at well, one point. Well, they both want to be the big cheese. They, exactly. Or, or, la, or uh, what? I, I guess that would be uh, <laughs> the, big, the big fromage. The big. La grande fromage. La grand fromage. fromage grande. Yeah, I guess. Whatever you say in French. La fromage grande. <laughs> your people and your countrymen are dying, and you guys are fighting over who is going to be the post-war oh, French So hero. what's new? Jesus. Are Come you on. kidding? That's government for you. It's so Especially bad. Especially the French government. That they wanted a picture of the two yeah. shaking hands so it could be distributed. That was a real warm class, by the so, way. Right. So... It is such a cursory handshake that the photographers, and it's so quick, the photographers, they don't even really get any pictures. They have to, these two guys in the middle of World War II have to be ordered Armand to shake hands again so oh, they yeah. can get a picture. They hated each other more than Nazis. That, that's your role, man. He must have been tall because that's son of a, De Gaulle well, is 6'6". Six, six, I saw the picture. Yeah, he's De Gaulle's no is. shrimp, right? Yeah, he's 6'6". Six, six. This guy's taller than he is. Man, oh, man. Now, finally... As you said, FDR, who you, as you called, he felt that uh, De Gaulle was a butt yeah, boy. Churchill. I, I'll just say, Churchill's uh, I'll just Paul. say, a puppet of Churchill, and and he saw Giroud as being much more aligned with American interest. Uh, oh, Armand, what are those American interests at know. this point? I have no idea, but I don't know. Giroud, man, I, he's kind of a borderline traitor in my book. He was with Dar. He took over after Darlon, I think, got assassinated. He was a. Oh, he was, right. he was yeah. a traitor, and Giraud. I mean, he played played patty cake with the uh, with the Nazis pretty much till, and then he got away, and now he's one <laughs> with us. He kind of feathered his. You nest. trust in that guy? I don't trust any French. Well, that's okay. But yeah, I guess De Gaulle. At I mean, that point, I hate you, his guts. But I know you hate Charles yeah. De Gaulle. But at that point, <laughs> put yourself in De Gaulle, De Gaulle's shoes. You trust in this fella? Yeah. Well, put yourself in Giraud's shoes too. Okay. You know, I mean, he's like Claude Rains in Casablanca. You know, I go with I go with the way the wind blows, and the prevailing wind is from Vichy. You yeah. know, so he's just a poor, corrupt official. That's all. Yeah, that's kind of just what Giraud is. You're winning, sir. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> Great. That is great. One of the greatest lines of all time. So what you contend there's no American game plan at this point. No. I posit that there might be an American game plan for what a post-war world looks like. And that that world looks I'm like sure, I'm not sure. Vic, I'm not sure Roosevelt's looking that far ahead. Really, Why I, wouldn't he, though? Because right now. Well, because right now all he's saying is keep Stalin in the war. And keep him mollified because yes. he's my buddy. And he has, by the way, he has not even met Stalin at this point. No, they're, Yalta has not happened. And, and how this, or is how, it Tehran? Where did Tehran the first is meet? the first? Yeah. Tehran, okay. And I think the I don't know where he gets this notion because because you know it's always you know that that Roosevelt charm he can charm everybody right, but he hasn't even met the guy yet. So why would Stalin like him as much as he thinks he does? No idea. Well, that's that's egotism right there. That's that's what you were talking about with Roosevelt. Here's something Roosevelt's also up to. This this is interesting. He's beginning to press for colonial independence. Yeah, mostly the British, though. Yeah, yeah, not <laughs> yeah. to not to the French colonies, yeah, to the yeah. British or the or the Russians. But he did propose to the French uh, lieutenant general of Morocco uh, this little number, and I'm quoting Roosevelt here, quoting FDR. He tells the French lieutenant general of Morocco, "quote The number of Jews engaged in the can't practice, you do it to, like." No, I, I the can't. number, the number of Jews. Yeah, I sound like a Kennedy when I All do right, that. Yeah, well, he's uh, kind of close. The number of Jews engaged in the practice of the professions—law, medicine, etc.—should be definitely limited to the percentage that the Jewish population in North Africa bears to the whole of the North African population. Roosevelt's proposing a quota. This plan would further eliminate the specific and understandable complaints, which the. Let me read that again. Understandable. The specific and understandable complaints which the Germans bore towards the Jews in Germany, namely that while they represented a small portion of the population, they represented over 50% of the lawyers, doctors, school teachers, college professors, etc. in Germany. Now, who is this? Is this Mel Gibson? This is FDR. Yeah, of course it is. I'll give you, I'll give you one. Let's put it more succinctly. Let's spread the Jews thin all over the world. That's a direct quote. 
Now, years that's what he wanted to do. Years earlier, FDR. Um, that's why he didn't allow them to come here. A lot of these, you know, people seeking real asylum, you know, as opposed to wife beater, you know. Well, wives good thing Einstein was smart. Apparently, otherwise he wouldn't have got well, in. Good thing Einstein had friends. Yeah, he wouldn't have let him in either. So years earlier, I think he, Fermi had to get him in. No shit. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That took some. He had to pull some strings. They didn't want him. Uh, the German uh, ambassador William Dodd. Uh, had been advised, uh, FDR had been getting advice from Dodd. And this is to quote Dodd, uh, telling FDR, quote, the Jews had held a great many more of the key possession positions in Germany than their number or talents entitled them to. Yeah, right. That's right. Why should you get all these positions? Just because you have intellect and talent. So I think we've established that there's no love loss no. for the for for people of Jewish descent oh, no, or no. Jewish faith from FDR. There's plenty of articles. You can go just Google it's amazing. Uh, FDR and anti-Semitism. You can read all kinds of articles about, you know, how... I don't think, Armand, most Americans know that. Well, they I, should. I think because he... Look what he did to the Japanese. I think if, because... You know, I know he interned them. Citizens. God. But I think because he got America into the fight, the assumption would be he is a hero of... Yeah, yeah, right. The, and... I asked this question. At this stage of the game, Armand, are the Jews just pawns in an international game of strategio, stratego or risk that's being played? Everybody that's not sitting at you know behind the table is a pawn. You know, If you're not moving the pieces, you're a pawn. Well, that, Even if you're a rook, that's you're true. a pawn. Yeah. So that's my that's my quote. Anyway, I, I don't like – I never did like Roosevelt. I don't. If you look at his background, he has a background of not liking Jews. And having this, and full class. disclosure, we're saying this. We're not Jewish, no. But you know it, that there were some eye-opening things about this Casablanca conference for me. That you know, when you scratch the surface and go a layer beneath, you got to ask yourself some questions. Well, that's why we chose this. Yeah, that was a good choice. That was definitely <laughs> a good choice. I commend your selection. Um, so, in the vein of, you know, how do these events shape yeah, the world we live in today? The impact of this. Just closing with a couple questions here, Armand, and you may have some. Um, had unconditional surrender not been adopted, what might have happened? Well, I don't know. It depends on what the alternative was. Yeah, because you know, yeah, it's an opportunity like cost, I said, as you, all things. If you say something, and, and, and Roosevelt did say this, actually, we have nothing, I think you stated the quote he had, we have nothing against the German people, <laughs> per se. Right. Well, well, here, here again, now let's keep in mind, though, that that – Aerial bombing of civilians was Churchill's idea. I know. You know, because the Germans, that's why everybody wants, well, well, how could the Germans do the Battle of Britain? They didn't have any heavy bombers. Well, that that's because the German war machine, even when they bombed Poland, was it was is basically support for the troops. Yeah. So they, they did bomb Warsaw, but it was when they were on the outside of Warsaw, mm -hmm. and they softened it up more or less like a siege. Yeah. Only the British... And Churchill had the heavy bombers, the Lancasters, yes. and then we had Liberators and the Marauders, and the, and the, and the, the B-17 yeah, Flying the big Fortress. Boys. We're the ones with the heavy These, bombers. The, These were you, meant to destroy right. civilian targets. I, and I think it's hard for people today maybe to understand. I, I've been an airplane freak my whole life. I used to look at my But that's how, Hitler, that's how Churchill thought he would keep get America in the war, I know, too. But he when wanted you, to chivy to Hitler into hitting civilian targets, and they thought that would look good to the Americans to get in the war. Well, so, but let's just talk about yeah. raw material here for a second. Germany definitely had bombers, but if you look at a German uh, Heinkel, Heinkel, yeah, Heinkel, uh, Henschel's, Henschel, medium bombers, that's or all they the, were. Uh, and then you compare that to a Liberator. Oh yeah, they anywhere near the payload. You you begin to understand the ordnance differential that was available to the United States Army Air Force at that time. They could really bring some heat. If the bomber got there, yeah, it was going to cause mass destruction. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why it's a heavy bomber. And the Germans, if the German bomber in the Battle of Britain got there, it was certainly going to cause destruction and did in the Battle of Britain. Yeah, and, but not and, I mean, compared to, but yeah, you know, relative leveling London, relatively speaking, yeah. compared to Hamburg, right. Dresden, Berlin. And uh, everything, all the targets. Yeah, Mannheim. I'm talking about the cities. Frankfurt, that, Dusseldorf. Right, they the cities that really got obliterated because all German cities paid a price. Yeah. But these are the ones that, like, Mannheim yeah. was almost completely gone. Well, the same thing with Japan. Look at Japan. 
They ran out of they targets. They all the noise about the atomic bombs. Yeah. But the worst of it was obviously bombing. the incendiary conventional bombing of Tokyo. Yeah. That killed more people. And that it, was something new, too. Right. Warfare. You know, so. But anyway, what would have happened? I, like I said, I don't know. It, it had Roosevelt come out and said, you know, we do not, we're, we're not bringing this war to, or, or the, the bombing campaign ceases immediately when Hitler's gone. Right. Boy, you, I That's don't know if the Gestapo would, you know. That's a chip, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a bargaining tool, and that's, you know, that's why you do things like this in I'm a war. I'm not even sure what would happen if he said, if Hitler and his, and his, all these Nazis decide to um, abdicate, you know, there will be no further punishment or whatever. And just send them to Argentina. Whatever. They will, yeah, whatever. Which is basically what they did with the, well, they didn't, they didn't even send him to, I'm talking about the, uh, the emperor. Yeah. Hirohito, he he maintained his. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but Hitler, we are not going to press charges or whatever. There will be no, you know, after the after the war, you can do whatever the hell you want, hang him anyway. But right. But if if if, if Hitler's overthrown, there will be no retribution against. He may have he may have just abdicated. If you told him that, well, I don't know if you believe it. He well, may have left without being assassinated. What if a German peace had been reached? Between who, though? The Soviets? Well, or that's us? the question, right? Because well, they're both sides are brokering. Aren't, aren't there? There's at least two sides well, here. British, Maybe a British, third. British and Americans are pretty much, they're, they're the same. That's the Western Front. I know, front. but what if, what if Britain knocked on, you called FDR and said, hey, we, we, got a, we got a done deal here. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine Churchill making a separate peace without Roosevelt, though. I think he was a more ardent. He hated Hitler so much. Sure. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if somebody had shot Hitler, I don't know what. What's more interesting would be if, if von Stauffenberg had succeeded and Hitler had been blown up. Will we keep fighting? Dude, I don't know. Armand, I, I I will contend. I'm sure they'd sue for peace. That we were one table leg away from that yeah. happening. But one would that have been peace? The heavy, way, sounds I, like what you're saying today is that doesn't necessarily mean they would have, you know, immediately stop, you know, lay down their arms. Don't know. You're implying they'd keep fighting. I don't think so. I don't know. And when I, Hitler goes, I don't I mean, and I don't over. mean to implying that they're going to keep fighting. Okay, well, Maybe they would have said, "Hey, inferred. the 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 der here is kaput. Yeah. So let's call a timeout and see if we can see if we can you know fix this. See if we can put an end to this. And that well, let's see. That was July twentieth, forty four. We're talking January fourteenth. Uh, what the fourteenth through the twenty fourth? I think ten days, eleven days. Yeah. Okay, so you would have had another year and a half. If you had said, look, there's a bounty on Hitler, anybody that gets him right. is whatever. I mean, and we, yeah. we immediately cease it. We'll Whoever give you Montana. Him, yeah, whatever. You get you get a dukedom. <laughs> you get a, you, you get, you're the new Earl of Kent, and yeah. you're the governor of Montana. Yeah, you get uh, Lucy Mercer. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> you get a date with Eleanor. Of course, that would have yeah, prolonged yeah, the war six years. Been fighting into the 50s. God, horse face. But anyway... Uh, yeah, had you said, you know, whoever gets him, there's a bounty on him or whatever. Oh, it'd be fascinating. Yeah. So if you're flying that could be a, a Stuka, good screen, that could be a good alternative yeah, history. The bounty for Hitler. Screenplay, the bounty of the bounty on Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Bring me the head of, of Adolf, Adolf Hitler. Yeah, directed by uh, <laughs> uh, Bloody Bloody Sam. Sam Peckinpah. Sam, Sam Peckinpah. Yes. Uh, so where would America be in a post-war world where it didn't just uh, – what if we had taken Churchill's advice and invaded the Balkans instead of Italy? I think we would have had an easier time of it. I think the Cold War would have been dramatically different. Yeah. We probably would have ended up yeah, taking Austria-Hungary. We probably would have gone right up now, not right up the peninsula, but a hell of a lot easier than fighting, you know, because you got the Greeks on your side, and they're good fighters, Albanians oh, too. Jesus, not like the yes. Italians. Having them on our side was more or less a detriment. Please, fight for the Nazis, will you? It helps. But anyway, wonder, sorry to our, all our Italian listeners. I, yeah, no offense to it. <laughs> but I do wonder, did they really start on the wrong side of the Adriatic? Shouldn't yeah. they have started on the right, not the left? Yeah, I, I, that, that's another thing. Who came up with that one? I think it was, I guess it was Alexander and all those guys. You uh, had Serbia fighting for you. Yeah, you got partisans all over the you place. You got partisans all over the Tito, place. Tito. The Tito only thing you had against you was the Croatians who were lined up with the Nazis. Yeah, but even they, I think, would have switched. They're not stupid. No, they're not stupid. Yeah, they're, no, they're not. The Balkans dumb. are, you know, that's why they're balkanized because they're very practical people. So, you might even got the Turks involved too earlier. Well, that, you know, yeah. you know them. They want land no matter what. You promise them Bulgaria or something. They're they're all for it. Oh, it's 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 coastal property. Yeah, yeah. Take back what you lost in 1913 yeah, get, or get after the, the war. Get your Ottoman spoils back. Yeah, 
new Ottoman Empire. You don't have to follow, you know, you don't have to obviously, when it's all done, said and done, Armand backstab. Right. Where do you think America would have been in a post-war world where it didn't win just the war, but all the geopolitical spoils that came with it? Well, see, that's, I don't know what we got out of that war, except economic. We, we got a lot that's of- That's what I'm dirt. saying. Yeah, but we didn't get any land out of it. We no, didn't no, take no, anything. No, no. The Russians got all the land. That's fine. I, and, and usually I'm the land guy, and you're yeah. not. Yeah. In this thing, we kind of got a role, role reversal here. We got an economic engine out of this war that was, well, it truly was second to none. What would have happened, though? Let me ask you this. What would have happened had we not bombed Japan and Germany into the Stone Age? Such a, we just won the war on the battlefield, and then- you know, okay, we give up, just like World War One. Well, not well, more the, quite, the, but the, the predecessor. And then they got all their factories. Yeah, they got yeah. everything left. Yeah, that's the only reason we, we we leveled them. Yeah, of course we rebuilt their countries for them too. Yeah, but so that created a massive amount of jobs. Right. And, and the precursor to Halliburton, whatever that company was, got a lot of so, great contracts. Would you, yeah, would you agree then that there would have been a depression? Because that's what everybody's worried about in this country. Well, when the war ends, my God, the depression's back. And of course, that didn't happen. It was a boom. No, it was a boom. Yeah. It was a. It was. It was one of the greatest spans of prosperity in American history. Yeah, but was that because we destroyed everything in our steel industry? I think partly. I think partly so because you became the go-to. Well, I think that's a, that's a, what's his name's broken window theory though, uh, Bastiat. Yeah. You know? if, if if yeah if if, if uh, a doomsday asteroid hits and levels everything and we got to rebuild it just to get back to where we were. Sure, there's going to be a great economic boom, you know, steel industry, everything else. But yeah. we're just getting back to where we were. But your standard of living is just yeah, returned to its right. That's well, it, Bastiat. Now, now, for America, the standard of living went way up. But I now, think, but for but, but see, but that's because now I I disagree with that because of what? Well, it did go up, but the reason not because we rebuilt Germany or Japan. It was because during the war nobody could buy anything. Everybody had a lot of everybody had a lot of everybody had a job and everybody yes. had a lot of money. Yes, but you couldn't buy butter. You couldn't buy meat. You couldn't I, buy a car. I, I get it. So, yeah, now they got a lot of money. But I'll tell you, uh, here's another reason. And resources. The American government, much to your dismay, started handing out money. I don't know about that. What do you mean no, handing out money? Oh, do you know how many homes were built on the Veterans Loan Program? Oh, you mean Levitt Towns and all that stuff? Yes. Well, I'm not sure those were all government subsidized, though. Do you know how many veterans? That was government? No, not completely. Yeah, the GI Bill. But the but GI was, Bill, Armand. I'm not sure about that. It. That had a huge. It helped build. I'm not saying it exclusively built American suburbia, but it certainly helped. There are well, members I of my it was more family. More education who's, thing. Wasn't but it? that was another thing. You raised the profile. Well, I think they guaranteed loans. You, but I don't. They guarantee sure they actually loan. gave money out like well, we okay, do now. But that's what I mean. You're when you're extending credit, you're giving money out. I don't know about well if people pay it back I don't know about and that and they did yeah because everybody knew that they had you know that there was That's prosperity the thing, and they Armand. had money they did right because they had jobs but you're making it sound like it was a welfare state and I don't no I don't no 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 that. I that don't know much no, later you're making it sound the government didn't give anybody anything till the sixties you're making it sound like a welfare state it was not a welfare state no it was we're we're going to make credit available to you and the age of American home ownership skyrocketed. It did. Yeah, it, here again, I say that's because most people had money saved up and they had jobs, and there was a boom. Yes. Yeah. As a result of the war. Well, the thing is, though, I think the war changed things some, somewhat as far as economically that people turned into consumers. And that yes. was something that even before the Depression— No, consumership was not— well, right, I don't know, maybe. In the 20s, though, well, that was the whole, supposedly what drove the whole crash. Everybody turned into consumer. But they're buying radios. Right. They're buying refrigerator, well, icebox or whatever right. the hell they had, consumer goods. But I don't think really took off till after the war. I, everybody I wanted. Agree. I would agree People with had you. money now. That's when the middle class could really start consuming. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's. Well, I don't attribute to the Marshall Plan. You know how I think about that. Well, I know what you think of the Marshall Plan. But, yeah. But it, it, I mean, it's, it's, an interest, it's interesting to ponder. Yeah. You know, okay, but it's even more. Keep in mind, Armand, Britain was in austerity for at least a decade after the war. Well, they didn't have anything, and it wasn't because they got bombed out. Because the damage, oh, no. to, the damage to England was the damage to, minor, unless you were Coventry or yeah, London, uh, a little bit after or the, the V2s, the, the but not e much. The east end of London, yeah, which they, did they, get hit yeah. really hard. Um, yeah, but nothing like what we discussed. No, I mean, I mean Manchester, Liverpool, or. Basically, Birmingham, but what's Sheffield, more interesting Leeds, is what happened intact. to Germany after the war. Now, Germany experienced economic miracle, miracle thanks to my one of my pantheon of gods, 
oh boy, I forgot his name. Uh, the 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 father of the German economic miracle, Erhard Erhard. Erhard. Uh, yeah. Amelia. Uh, no, no, no. Um, father of the German. Because they got, I mean, Go ahead. their 1950s was drastically different than the English 1950s or the British 1950s. Yeah, but it was only after, you know, um, Ludwig Erhard. Jesus Christ. I yeah. forgot his name. You're getting old. Ludwig, yeah. Ludwig Erhard on Sunday, because that's when everybody was closed down. Yes. Totally devalued the Reichsmark. Mm-hmm. And uh, made it into a mark. Yes. And uh, got rid of all the uh, regulations and everything else that we had imposed on them. Mm-hmm. That's when things shot up. Mm-hmm. 48, I guess. 48? Yeah, that's when the Germans had, you know, could stop exchanging everything for cigarettes and pantyhose. Uh, yeah. And when, actually when, had an economy When did again. the Deutschmark come onto the scene? Well, then? I think maybe that was it. Yeah. It was, it's oh, changed, that is changed, the Deutschmark. He changed the, okay. yeah, he changed the Reichsmark or whatever to the mark or Deutschmark. Ludwig Erhard. So Look him up. Two more questions for you as yep. we wrap up. What would the Mideast have been had, hmm. had World War II gone differently, had uh, had it not resulted in a Jewish state? Oh, well. Because <laughs> if it goes I, differently, I there is no Israel. There is still, there's Palestine, but there is no modern-day Israel. 1947 never happens. Mm, yeah, but I, I I think there were already a lot of Jews in that area. No, I mean, there are. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's a there, mass exodus, but and there Balfour were a lot, gave There it were to a lot them. of Christians, too. Yeah, Balfour gave them that after World War I. But it was a Palestinian state. It was Palestine. Well, it was, it was, yeah, but it was, it was, a, it was not a, kind of a mandate. You know, the, I think the, what was it, the White Paper in 1935, you got a lot. So the British pretty much divvied it up, as they usually do. You mm-hmm. take this, you take that, willy-nilly. But we... The, I'm saying there was a more or less an Israeli, a Jewish state. It was de facto, like probably kind of like Palestine now. Yeah, some kind people of a, recognize a the role country. reversal. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there was Mossad and everything. In fact, they were blowing up the British. They were pissed at the British. Yeah, of course, they were. they were blowing up British embassies and shit. Yeah, those guys. Those guys were nuts, man. <laughs> Mess with those Jews. They're they're tough. So what would have what would a post war Soviet Union look like had there not been this unconditional surrender? Had had we made peace on our own and let Russia and uh, Germany fight it out, which is what I want to do, and Truman, by the way, uh, you know, that's what he said in 1940. I say let him fight it out. Uh And that's perfect for me. Hitler probably would have beaten him. Okay. If he didn't have to worry about the whole Western front. And And then what problem do you have? You got no problem. Oh, no problem. You just got got Adolf Hitler. No problem. Do you hear yourself? I'd rather have Hitler than Stalin. Yeah, you hear me there. Well, he he's the champ, and you wouldn't have communist China either. You wouldn't have Mao. So I'll, I'll raise you. I'll you know I'll call your six million and raise you thirty million in Russia and eighty right. million in China. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. so, Mao's great plan oh, results the in worst. sixty million dead at least. Number so 80. big that you can't even comprehend yeah, them. They're we just, don't know. We'll never know. They're just, they're a just statistic. starving. Yeah, yeah. In China, are you kidding? So yeah, you wouldn't have communist China. There's so there's a pretty good bargaining chip right Boy, there that's a hard, in my favor. It's a hard pill to swallow. To how do you sell that to an American public? Yeah, the, the guy we went to war against, we're we're just gonna let him stay right where he is. Well, we did that with Saddam Hussein. I know we, we do it all the time. Iraq was not Germany. Let's be clear. Iraq was not the Iraq industrial. was not Russia either. I'd no, rather have Saddam Hussein than Stalin. Yes. But that's see, that's because Stalin had better PR men. That's all you know that now. We know oh. that now. I mean, he had, totally. that, he had that dumb shit that wrote Mission to Moscow. That guy, that moron. And of course, we're making movies about him. You know, and you know everything was. We great. aren't making movies. Well, Warner Brothers is. You know, okay. Crazily enough, you and I both know this, but great trivia question: Michael Curtiz, the director yes. of Casablanca. Yep. Which. Funny enough, Casablanca doesn't really deal with the Casablanca conference at all. No, they just, just rushed it in a production. Right, you just know, deals with the... Because of the Operation Torch and everything. Right. You know. But the follow-up movie that Curtis directs for Warner Brothers is Mission to Moscow. Yeah, I think it's... What's that guy's name? Davies? Was I that think the guy's so. name? I think so, I mean, yeah. he was a real cat's paw of uh, Stalin's, you know. They, 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 like, they, we talked about it. They sent him to a concentration. Look how everybody's at, you know, like a big big pot of borscht for everybody. In the Imagine meat. the scene where they bring in the Red Cross to the POWs yeah, and everybody's Stalag got se- fresh plates. Remember Stalag yes, 17? 17. Yeah. Where's, where's, the, where's, that? where's the beef or something? Because when we get it, we'll send it to Geneva. <laughs> where's the hemhocks? Yeah. 
Yeah, when we get it, we'll send it to Geneva. Yeah. And they're washing their socks in the damn thing. Well, that's about the way it looked. Oh. So, anyway, yeah, he had that guy's number big time. It's hard to imagine a world where you let the Nazi administration stay in power. Yeah. Well, first of all. But if you're going to talk on here and here, God, this is horrible. Hitler and Stalin had a pact to begin with. And they broke. They divvied up Poland between well, them. Who really? Okay. I don't know how you forgive that. You don't because as yeah, a, as, right. a, as what I know the Soviet numbers are staggering in terms of loss of life. Oh, God. You mean during the war before yes. the war? Well, both. Yeah. And after because they were still rounding up and just shooting people. Yeah. But as a percentage of your nation. Did anyone come off worse than Poland during World War II? Uh, I don't know. I, I, well, I don't know. And they got I don't it. Know what I don't know how many actually died in they Poland. They got it from civilians. every which way. Yeah, but that was their army got beat. I think they're civilians, except you know for the Jews, except of for course, the Warsaw. And, yeah, but that's the Jewish, the ghetto, whatever. They, I know. I think the Russians probably suffered. I mean, because they, they, you know, those guys just above killed twenty everybody. million. Yeah, yeah. They're twenty to thirty. So, boy, you got to go a ways because I don't know what the population of Russia was then, but it probably could have been much more than 150 or something like that. Well, even today, it's only like 180. Yeah, but now it's just Russia. Now, oh, you just know, Russia, other, yeah, not the Ukraine. Yeah, the whole Kazakhstan. country I'm talking about probably could have been much more than 150 because, I mean, I, our population was, what, 140 or 130? Probably. It wasn't yeah. that much. Yeah, it wasn't 200 million yet. No, Not no, by a long no shot. No way, no way. So, there you go. I don't know what Germany's was. Not many, 25 million, maybe. I don't know. 30. Well, today they're 90. So they probably lost a hell of a percentage. Yeah. Just, you yeah. know. And yeah, they Japanese, too. Well, the Japanese, tell you the truth, though, their main army was in Manchuria. They had like a million something, yes. 1.1 million men, and they never even fought anybody. Since the 1930s. Yeah. So all the ones they lost, even though they lost staggering numbers in like Okinawa, because they fought to the last man. Talk about, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those guys, you didn't have to say actually surrender they, them. Those guys had a policy of unconditional yeah, surrender right. as unconditional well. Unconditional death. Yeah, that was right. We don't surrender. Yeah, well, I'm not. Yeah, this is unconditional surrender. Right. Boy, those guys. You're you're going to have to kill me, and you're going to have to come into this hole to do it. Yep. Wow. All right, Casablanca, eye opener. Uh, I learned a lot. Good movie. Diving into this. No, the Casablanca oh, conference. The conference, and it's a fine movie. It's a great movie. I like the movie. But it'd be a good. I'd I'd. I'd I'd like to see more about this. This kind of this changed my perception on a couple things, Armand. Yeah, you know it really. That's what this show's all when about. You, when I dug in, this became very interesting. Uh, all of the all of the machinery behind this, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I know we'll do single topic shows from time to time. Please let us know if you like it. Yes, uh, I know you, you just. I think they just prefer sex, but there's no sex involved here. Although I'm at sure Casablanca, they, I'm sure they I had a guarantee there was call girls brought in. Yeah, some Moroccans, some beautiful Look at French, Moroccans, Algerian. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, see, I'd rather have had it in Sweden. That's a better time place for a conference. That's yeah, a nice Scandinavian cat house somewhere. You're yeah. Mm. Anyway, that's where you negotiate. That's oh, is that where you negotiate? No, oh, by the way, speaking of Elliot Roosevelt, that, that's how they got you know those, those con, uh, contracts. I think Howard Hughes and those guys got contracts out of Elliot. Oh, they they, they wanted to dine the hell out of him. Yeah, and they, he ended up marrying that. Uh, what was it? Was it Hope Emerson? He married. He married a movie star. They fixed him up with her. Was she the fifteen-year-old that Hughes had had? Uh, no, not not, in? not him. Elliot Roosevelt. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, or was it Faith Emerson? Hope Emerson might have been that big big gal that picked up Spencer Tracy in Adam's Rib. Faith Emerson, I think. Anyway, he married. I mean, they, they had movie stars, and it was all to get you know a contract. Absolutely, for planes. Yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a, like Howard Hughes uh, says in The Aviator. You go get me those votes. Now you buy them, fair and square. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> Do it legit. <laughs> no, well, never forget what Truman says. Nobody makes money. In, nobody makes money in politics unless you're a crook. Well, Harry Truman. Yeah. Or is it nobody gets rich in politics? It doesn't matter. Okay, well, Harry's and right. everybody in politics is rich. So. so there you have it. All right. The event shaping the world we live in today the most. Well, as Armand, I, I feel correctly picked from June or January 14th. Indeed, the Casablanca Conference. Thanks to our producer, Brian Kroc, and, of course, to my partner, Armand Kachigian. Don't forget, check out all our shows 
at lineupmedia.fm. You can find a huge selection of programming there. And of course, like us on Facebook, this uh, facebook.com slash this day in history podcast. Follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, history underscore podcast. All righty, that'll do it. When January 15th rolls around, we will be right here to tell you about it on lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 